0: Welcome to Living Catholic, the weekly webcast from the Diocese of Birmingham, in which we engage with Catholic leaders to explore how we can live out our life in Christ faithfully and with joy. I'm Dr. David Anders, Director of Education and Lifelong Formation for the Diocese of Birmingham. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Joshua Miller. Dr. Joshua Miller is the developer of the MCode Personal Assessment, an online tool that helps people discover a personal vocation. He's also a founding partner of Previo Ventures, LLC, a professional consulting firm that uses MCODE and other tools to help agencies develop their human resources. He's the co-author of the book, Unrepeatable, which makes the case for personal vocation. Dr. Miller is a graduate of Duquesne University, where he earned a PhD in philosophy of the human person. He earned an MA in the same field from Franciscan University of Steubenville, and a BA in liberal arts from the College of St. Mary Magdalene. Dr. Miller lives in Steubenville, Ohio, with his wife, Brooke, and their six children. Dr. Miller, welcome to Living Catholic.
1: Thank you very much for the opportunity to be with you.
0: I really appreciate your really appreciate you being here. So you know your your work is really your professional work, your consulting work, really is grounded in your philosophical work and your Catholic faith and your understanding of the nature of the human person. And you know, we in the diocese in the in the education office had the opportunity to go through the ENCODE assessment, learn about ourselves and what our strengths and weaknesses are, and how we can work better together. And I was really struck by it when I when I went through the program myself, because I've I've taken professional assessments in other contexts before. And as you know, most of them are based on compiling kind of a list of attributes or properties. You know, you find out you're high in this skill and you're low in that skill and they're mm-hmm. kind of a quantitative measurement, um, maybe based on some standardized tests that you take. And yours is not necessarily constructed that way. It, r- rather, it it, it, it really does deal in what is a human being and what is a person. When I meet somebody for the first time, I don't ask them, give me a list of your properties or skills. (laughs) I I say, tell me your story, right? Tell me your story. And, uh, and that's, your work is based on that. It's based on personal stories and narratives being really fundamental to understanding who we are and what our, what our vocation is. Mm -hmm. Um, So first thing I'd like to know is how does a Catholic academic like somebody who got a PhD in philosophy of the human person, end up with this consulting firm uh, helping Christian agencies develop personal locations. Tell us that story.
1: I am a convert to the Catholic faith and had grown up in a family deeply fascinated with personal uniqueness uh, and how that's revealed in narrative, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, But when I became Catholic, I was concerned that this work that I had grown up with Uh, was too individualistic, too focused upon um, the the isolated person. And so I came to Franciscan, frankly, in order to explore the philosophical um, uh, and Catholic foundations of, of my family's work, which was all about identifying patterns of uniqueness through narrative for use in consulting. And so that's what drew me to the study of philosophy of the person. It was really a practical problem Um, I came to love the classroom and and love the search for truth. Uh, So I got a PhD uh, and had been teaching, but it was, it was solving a kind of a a foundational personal uh, question related to my family's work because I wanted to stay in that work. Uh, And I discovered it was indeed very consistent with Catholic teaching and really what the vision for sanctifying the earth is that the second Vatican council and all the popes since then have preached.
0: Okay. So tell us a little bit about your family's work. You said this, this business about uh, human resource formation and personal narratives, not something you started. This is something that your family was engaged in professionally, Mm -hmm. but then you brought a Catholic sensibility to that.
1: Yes. Yeah. I would say so. And I really felt called to, to, to do that. Um, In the late 1950s, my grandfather, Arthur Miller was working with one of the first career counselors working with with veterans from World War II. And uh, Bernard Haldane was the guy's name and Haldane had realized, you know, when we're building a a veteran's resume, uh, we can identify strengths by by that person telling stories of what they're good at. And my granddad was fascinated with this, uh, but realized that when we look at that narrative, there's a great deal more than just a list of strengths. There's a whole unique intricate pattern of motivated behavior and a a longing uh, to be a certain way a drive a motivational drive to be a certain way is at the heart of that. So he started an organization where the purpose was to help people get at a full holistic, deep rich picture of, of their pattern of, of motivated behavior, which was then used for um, coaching and management consulting and executive search and other HR related um, uh, agendas um, and needs. And so that's, that's the kind of family I grew up in before I became Catholic.
0: So what what is the Catholic angle that you bring to that, to that pursuit? You said, you mentioned that you thought that his work was good, but maybe a little bit too focused on the individual. So what is it Catholicism brought to your understanding of that dynamic?
1: So one of the things that he emphasized was that we are, are distinctive from one another and really to love God means to to pursue that pattern of uniqueness fully. And what, what the church, the church embraces this truth, each one is is uniquely crafted and fearfully wonderfully made. But that must be lived out in the context of families and communities and the whole body of Christ. And what I gained um, both theologically and philosophically, I think, is that groups are stronger and they're more rich and full to the extent that they honor and understand each unique member. And that was not something that that had been emphasized um, in in my granddad's work, although he's, did some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work. So just the the, the communal nature of, of our faith and the community emphasis of our faith was something that um, I think I helped to bring back into his, his insights.
0: So it'd be fair to say that as you're trying to help people understand their own personal vocation, um, they always have to be, they have to bring that that reflection, that introspection, Into conversation with their wider community, and ask how does this? How do I? How do I bring what's unique about me into conversation into service to to those around me?
1: That's absolutely the case. And when people tell story of being deeply engaged in activity that is fulfilling, in almost every case, Doctor Anders, it's a story of both unique fulfillment, but also unique contribution, even if they're not thematizing that. The fact is that real fulfillment comes when we give of ourselves, but also experience joy from the kind of activity that's, that's right for us.
0: How would you understand that in the case of someone who was, uh, say, a, a, an introvert engaged in a very solitary occupation, an artist, for example, mm-hmm. who spends you know, 15 hours a day in a room in front of a canvas?
1: the fruit of that work, well, a number of things. One is that, that the fruit of that work um, is usually, if it's really authentically fulfilling, going to be a gift to the community. M- maybe not at that moment, maybe not in, in the solitary moment. Um, but if there's anything that's true or good or beautiful created by the person, it, it is ordered towards the whole. And, and it's something beautiful that, that can bless the whole. Uh, so that's one way. Um It also, frankly, is uh, a value for us to encounter people who are taking things like paint and canvas and ideas and creating something beautiful. Um, because it's like a, the sanctification of that little space and time, and when we witness it, I think we're blessed by it. Hmm. That's not too, <laughs> too theoretical.
0: No, you know, I am I think about Thomas Aquinas, who I know you're fond of. I'm fond of him as well. From what I know of his biography, he was a deeply introspective and highly abstracted person who could sit at a dinner table with the king of France and be utterly absorbed in his own philosophical speculation <laughs> and completely, completely zoned out from the dinner table conversation. You know, there's some anecdotes about him like that. I remember. And yet, you know, few people have blessed the church with the riches of their contemplation more than St. Thomas. Well said. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to keep this conversation grounded in the practical, but from, from one recovering academic to another, I, I've got to ask, I'm just curious, right? You have a PhD in the Catholic doctrine of the human person. I've been dying to ask an expert, how would you, as a Catholic, how would you define the term person?
1: And I, I, I like to go with Aquinas on that. Aquinas defines the person as Dominus Sui, Lord of oneself. And so, of course, the persons of the Blessed Trinity, each angel is a person, and there are human persons as well. And, you know, we're strange because we combine spiritual soul with body, but there is this, this um, self-awareness and self-possession that that God in his... Um, mercy and providence wants us to depend upon Him, yes, but He wants us to be agents of action, to be self-possessed and self-aware, and to image Him as we take action. Um, so that's that's a, the Lord of oneself or master of oneself is a definition of person that I particularly like
0: from Aquinas. So I'm a little bit surprised because that that could be given an individualistic interpretation. Like conscious agency can take place without interpersonal relation and and uh, you know we discuss this around here from time to time as you know like the term person enters into theology through trinitarian doctrine Mm -hmm. when it really does refer only to relation the relation of father to son son to father father and spirit you know to the son and so forth and uh and so i i like the doctrine i like the idea of conscious agency but i also like the idea of persons are always in relation
1: yeah indeed and so uh it's it, it's not an exclu- it's not to exclude that uh trinitarian dimension or relational dimension of person at all um and i think that's frankly a qualifier that needs to be used to to heighten our understanding of person undoubtedly
0: all right we'll now we'll now come down from academic speculation right and get into the practical um, so tell us a little bit about, about ENCODE. I mean, this is a professional program you've developed mm-hmm. to help people understand their own narratives, their relation to other people, and to, and to turn it into something actionable in organizations. Tell us yeah. about MCode.
1: So the genesis of MCode is my granddad's work, which I mentioned earlier. Um, and for years, that was my bread and butter um, as, as a consultant um, and helping out with a whole variety of, of HR-related um, uh, interventions, let's say, or projects, um, but what we did is we had people spend six or eight hours describing achievements um, from any time or, 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 or period of life, things that they'd enjoy doing that would lived in well, and then we would interview them for about an hour and a half, very, very robust approach, um, developing a pattern of motivation on the basis of that, so it's very rich and deep, but also very expensive. Um, So two or $3,000 for that level of motivational analysis. And um, not only was it expensive, uh, but also um, didn't get quite at the heart of the pattern of motivation. And so in 2012, uh, myself and several other men uh, approached this task of how do we how do we make this system for identifying motivated abilities more scalable and accessible. And so um, I worked with, with several others to, to develop M-Code for the sake of making this broader patterning process more accessible. Um, now,
0: it, what, one of the things that I experienced when going through the m program myself is you really draw a distinction in, in you know, helping people succeed and excel between their motivations and maybe their skills or aptitudes. Yes. And you know, a lot of professional development programs are based on identifying your, identifying your skills and aptitudes. You don't think that's the way to go. You go for motivations, why is that?
1: It's important that we get at the heart of what drives a person. And so I believe in innate skills for sure, and innate talents for sure, but it's really critical to get at why a person wants to use those natural talents. Right. And so what we get at with M-Code is this, really it's a movement of the heart. I'm convinced that core motivations that we get at with M-Code is is a a basic inclination, a love of the heart to be a certain way um, and to give on on that basis. And so it unfolds into certain natural talents. Um, But there's plenty of people who are in jobs which require the talents that they have, but they're not motivated to be in those positions. And so it's really critical to get at the underlying motivation.
0: Okay, so you mentioned the job aspect, and I know this is a professional program, but when we're talking about application of this program in the church and in the parish, Mm -hmm. would you necessarily say that finding a personal vocation is the same thing as finding a job you love? No, not at all. And in fact, the most
1: profound use of M-Code and the achievement story sharing part of that um, is really interpersonal encounter. Mm. You know, going back to what you mentioned about the Trinitarian dimension of person. And frankly, Dr. Anders, that's where I find most love and really I see most possibility in this work is helping people who haven't taken the time to get to know one another, whether it's a family setting or, or in, in, in a youth group setting or a parish council to use uh, stories to identify themes of motivation, but to use those stories to, to get to know one another and to build... Um, collaborations, teams, groups, where this deep mutual uh, understanding, um, and what that does is allow for persons in their own calling um, to flourish. Um,
0: so, so, so M-Code is not just a tool for self-discovery, but for, for building up the dynamic of the group.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I would that, love to hear... Really shines.
0: You know, I know my own experience with it, but you've taken this program through a number of agencies, one, one of which I noticed was my alma mater, Wheaton College. You went and uh, provided this service to, to Wheaton as well. Um, I'd love to hear some stories of personal and organizational transformation uh, that occurred through the use of MCO. Um,
1: right now, I am in the process of working with uh, eight priests uh, from the Diocese of Camden. And um, actually, there's uh, two coaches, we each have four. So it's, uh, or we each have six rather, um, coaches, there's 12 of us all together. And it's an intensive coaching program where the point of it is to help each priest recognize why he uniquely has been called to the priesthood. And so we use EMCODE uh, alongside StrengthsFinder and another assessment. Um, as as a way of unlocking for each priest, not only why they were called to the priesthood or how how their uniqueness is a dimension of the priesthood, but then how to cultivate that awareness of who they are uniquely to build um, a very effective ministry. So we're coming near the end of that that coaching program right now. And it has just been profoundly fruitful as priests move away from thinking of themselves as um, sharing in just a, a sort of universal priesthood, but rather living out that priesthood in a way that's unique to them, so that their priesthood is informed by their uniqueness. The grace of that is, is uh, something that, that draws upon their uniqueness as persons. And so there's been a lot of good coaching fruit from that. Um, we use it at Franciscan University in the Masters in Catholic Leadership Program and at the Center for Leadership as well, where for the last 10 years, we've been helping students to gain awareness of what their own way of leadership ought to be as they build that out at Franciscan and as they launch into the world. Um, I write about one of those students in the book, Unrepeatable. Um, one of my students was Rachel Michaud, who, um, who I had an opportunity to work with for four years while she was at Franciscan and you know, took her through this motivational patterning process and um, she launched into Focus, a uh, fellowship with Catholic University students, and it's just flourishing there. Um, we've been able to stay in touch over the years. It's such an excellent fit for her, given her uniqueness, and she's been able to cultivate that uniqueness um, in several different ways at Focus. So, you those know, are a couple of small examples. When um, you
0: talked about the priests who were discovering, the, their own unique giftedness that they brought to the vocation of priesthood, it, 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 it brought a distinction to my mind that became very important to me when I became Catholic. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in a tradition like you did. You were, neither one of us was raised Catholic that did not really have a doctrine of, of institutional or public vocation, right? And, and what I mean by that is most of the time, when people use the word vocation in a Catholic context, mm-hmm. they're talking about a vocation to marriage, a vocation to priesthood, a vocation to religious life. That's These right. are stable, recognized, institutional forms of Christian life that have, uh, that have a function. They're, 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 they're orders, ordered towards serving the common good of the church mm-hmm. in very distinct, recognizable ways. And that's beautiful. And, and all of us find some public vocation in the church as a priest, a religious, a lay person, mm-hmm. married person. Um, and growing up as a, a non-Catholic, I didn't have this kind of concept. Instead, I grew up in a tradition that emphasized that all Christians are fundamentally equal in, in their roles and functions in the Christian church. The priesthood mm-hmm. of all believers, of course, was a Lutheran doctrine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, but what I tended to find was that that notion of public vocation Uh, was replaced by a very standard kind of personal narrative in other words
1: Mm. it was important
0: for every individual to be able to give an account of their faith that followed a kind of stereotyped formula yeah it typically meant recapitulating luther's own experience of of despair and alienation Mm -hmm. you know forgiveness and ecstasy right? So you had to be able to stand up in church and say, you know, I was a wayward sinner, and I found Jesus at the bottom of a whiskey bottle or whatever, and now I'm following the Lord. <laughs> right. and, uh, and so everyone sort of had to come to the Lord in the same way. And, and uh, in a sense, that kind of, that kind of could destroy uh, the, the, the individual giftedness and the unique perspective of each person's Christian walk, because they all had to be sort of pigeonholed into that same conversion narrative. Um, And uh, what I love about the Catholic doctrine of vocation is that there, there are these stable forms that we can inhabit. uh, Although they're not all the same, they are different. um, But that stable form is a very different thing from my own individual personhood. And so I can have a personal narrative that is utterly unique and bring that to a recognized public stable institution within the church, yes. like a priestly vocation. Yes,
1: and this, this gets at the very, very heart of my own calling to, to help cultivate a, a culture of personal vocation, because although that's church teaching, beautifully articulated by St. John Paul II, I think Pope Francis has done a wonderful job of this in Christus vivit, it's not yet part of the fabric of Catholic life. Um, we still talk about vocation very much in terms of state in life, um, and we don't really cultivate each person's unique calling, which includes the universal call to holiness. It's going to include some state in life, but I, I do think that we miss the Church's teaching on personal vocation. Saint John Paul II said it was critical for renewal in the Church, and it, it needs to be a part of the fabric of Catholic institutions uh, across the face of the earth.
0: Now you know here's here's the irony, right? You, uh most of the time it would be impossible to have a programmatic tool to develop a entirely unique personal vocation like this the two would seem to be in conflict right you know and instead it seems to me personal vocation is most often realized precisely in dialogue with another human being who's able to look at you and recognize and value and call out your uniqueness
1: absolutely the case
0: and, uh, and and it's it's hard to turn that into a program. You right? can't. No, right, exactly, exactly.
1: There's, so what I've been emphasizing more and more in my teaching is how do we listen to one another with depth and empathy? How do we ask the kinds of questions which draw the person out in this frantic digitized hyper world? How do we learn to take time with one another so that we're asking the sorts of questions that really create reflection on who am I? What am I drawn towards? Um, how, how do we show the love of Christ as we encounter each unique person as unrepeatable? And it's in those encounters, I think, uh, particularly where um, where personal vocation is, is especially cultivated. Um,
0: yeah. So in our own diocese, we are celebrating a year of the parish and of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. This year is our year of the parish of the Eucharist. And, and we're inspired of course, by Pope Francis's uh, call for renewal in the whole church and Mm -hmm. Evangelii Gaudium, his exhortation on evangelism, which really makes this personal dimension integral to his view of discipleship and mission. He talks about, uh, you know, this discipleship cannot be reduced to a program. It should have programmatic significance, but it really is about personal encounter with the Lord and one another. And, uh, these are beautiful words They're they're high ideals um but as you know uh, you know catholic parishes are very often entrenched in very old forms um and uh, and since you can't simply turn it over with a new program it's it's about infusing a different mindset into That's right. interpersonal relationship That's right what counsel would you give to parishes who 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 see the goal but they don't know how to get there
1: i think it's it's most important to begin with our pastors I think that, that, um, I think that the whole notion of t- teaching of personal vocation needs to begin with our, with our, with our pastors, with our priests. I think that, that um, generally speaking, um, at least in the diocesan priesthood, this has been my experience. I think it's a little bit different in some of the religious orders, but that we sometimes think of our diocesan priests as like sacramental functionaries, right? They need to do priestly things. They've got to offer the sacraments. They should preach a good homily. And we, we sometimes fail to see the unique man underneath his collar. And when we talk about vocation, just in terms of state in life, and generally uh, emphasize the call to priest in religious life, when we weight down vocation in that way and not talk about the unique call that we each have, I think it, it's a particular burden to our priests. So when we help our priests recognize that they bring their own uniqueness to that priesthood and that's okay. They don't have to, to do all things as, as uh, pastors of the parish. When they build leadership teams around them where they can have their own unique gifts complemented by others, um, that that can create a real strength and health in the priesthood and um, that helps our priests also to start to call out more and more the personal vocations of, of those that they shepherd. Um, and that's You know, vital.
0: when I think about the pastoral relationships I've had with priests that have been the most fruitful in my own life, they have always been because priests uh, lived with me as friends and shared their stories with me. It Amen. was rarely because they gave me a pat formulaic answer you know, to a general or abstract problem. Yes. Um, and, uh, 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 you know, and that's, uh, that's difficult when you have a large parish and one priest and there's only mm-hmm. so much a father to go around. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but it also seems to me that that's the way Christ did it. And you know, in the Gospels, Jesus answers very few questions. And when he does answer them, they're usually elliptical or enigmatic answers that end in the call, come and follow me, mm-hmm. come and live with me. Come and be with me. Um, you know, Hey, you want to be saved? Oh, keep the commandments. You know the story. Oh, that's not enough for you? Well, then come and follow me. <laughs> well said. Um, well, let's see. Um, I, you know, I, 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 if somebody wanted to get involved in m um, in our diocese, and I'm going to give some information in just a few minutes about how they could do that, mm-hmm. um, what, what would they expect? And what would they hope to get out of it? Well, I wanna make
1: a distinction here. Um, I always begin EMCODE training with this encounter with, no, with one another around sharing achievement stories or fulfillment mm. stories. And um, one of the resources that we can provide uh, through the diocese are some simple approaches to drawing out the stories of deep fulfillment from one another and listening with empathy and reflecting back what we're noticing about those persons. It's very, very, very powerful. Um, what MCO does, which I think it does so well, and is so needful is to, is to identify what are the themes of motivation within that narrative. And so um, it's useful for team building, for cultivating personal vocation, for building uh, you know, leadership teams, um, helping people to recognize how to shift career-wise as well. Um, But I want to make that distinction because not everybody has to be an M code practitioner or or even go through the assessment, although I I certainly recommend uh, the use of M code generously. But I think that getting a taste for the power of encountering another person around their stories of fulfillment is is a simple step It can be done in 10 minutes from anybody in the diocese. And as as, uh, Daniel McCormick and others will share that exercise is so simple and powerful. And then it leads to an appreciation for the greater fruit that the M code assessment can bring when it's you know uh, pulled out in a, in a review session.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. So summing up uh, at the very least in your pastoral ministry, make room for personal encounter and dialogue and sharing achievement stories and valuing the uniqueness of the other person. But if you would like a tool to do that, uh that's uh that's been uh 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 tested and refined uh over many different agencies and you are interested in getting involved in emcode in our diocese uh the thing to do is to contact daniel mccormick at the office of religious education and you can reach them through the uh the diocese website uh bhmdiocese.org. dr miller thank you so much for being with us today i really appreciate it uh, it's been a pleasure in our next episode, I will speak with Father Rick Chenault, pastor at Our Lady of the Valley Parish in Fort Payne and vicar of vocations for our diocese. And we'll discuss how each person can tr- can contribute to building up parish cultures that help all members discern their vocations and live them out. If you enjoy the show, subscribe to us on YouTube or using your favorite podcast app. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating or review. Finally, please recommend us to friends and family. We'd love to continue speaking with you in this special year focused on encountering Christ in our parish and in the Eucharist.